So here is Psalm 118. And it is, as we were saying, the final psalm of this series of psalms spoken of as a Hallel psalm. The word Hallel simply just means praise, to praise God. If you remember, if you were here with us last week, that was a particular problem for C.S. Lewis, as he actually thought through the psalms, that it was all these uh, injunctions uh, to praise God that seemed a little off-putting, that God would demand so much praise. But here we have a Hallel psalm, and it all makes sense that he should be praised when we realize he's worthy of it all, and he's the greatest joy and treasure of our life. So let us enter into that with this word here. Here's the command. A command to give thanks. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord, all those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph over those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to even trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. Remember the man in Psalm 2 who is at war with the nations. In the name of the Lord I cut them off. They surround me, surrounding me on every side. They surround me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. See, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad song of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. He always wins. So I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Therefore, it follows... Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord, Yahweh, he is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. 
Now bind the festal sacrifice with cords upon the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. That one last commandment, for his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist can't end without commanding it one more time. He needs to be praised. He's worthy of it. And the overflow of where this psalm is coming from, the joy he has, experiential joy in his faith and living and walking with the living God, almost annoyingly is saying, you need to praise him. He's that good. He's marvelous and wonderful. Now, it's one thing to read it comfortably, all tucked in and, and, and enjoying a beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning. But the nature of the psalm, the nature of many of these psalms, is that this person has been rescued from peril. And without um, entering into that or being uh, placed within an existential crisis of your own, sometimes the danger is uh, the words can sound somewhat hollow in the fact that this psalm is calling us to praise God uh, for saving us even though we don't really feel like we needed saved or at this moment, we're doing quite fine. But the depths of the psalm, as a Hillel psalm, point us in one particular direction. And this is the direction I, I hope that we could consider this morning. I hope to direct our minds and hearts in this way. Is that there is a question laid uh, before us. And it's a foundational question down to the bottom of your heart. If your heart had layers, you could say, your soul, if it had layers, what we're, what we're aiming to do is go down to the very basement. Um, the beauty of the Psalms are good for that. And it's good now to go down to the basement before the trial comes, and you have to go down there and see how there's a little bit of mildew and it's all a little uh, unfinished. Did you finish your basement? It's a carpeted drywall. That, that's what we're doing here. We're trying to fix the soul upon Jesus Christ and go down to the rock, the foundation of it all. And that foundation is this, this particular question. Does God answer you when you call to him? That question has various answers in the various seasons or stages of your life, I think you could say. Perhaps there are moments in which you're particularly convinced. And then there are other moments in which trials and torments are there. And if you're honest, you would say, I do not feel close to God. I do not feel like he's listening to me. My prayers are falling on deaf ears. Now, the point, or the, the importance of that kind of question is, if you can't answer that, Speaking somewhat personally, but then also more importantly from the actual psalm, the text itself is the word of God. You have to be able to answer that. You have to be able to be convinced to know that when you call on God, he will answer you. It is very hard when you don't actually have the confidence to believe that he cares that much to answer you. 
Jesus is his name. The problem of wavering on the answer to this question is, first off, forgetting what it means to be called a savior. See, a savior that does not answer is not a savior. That's just called a religion. And things we say to make ourselves feel better. Word of God, the Psalms have no place for that. If he does not answer you, he's not your savior. So when you throw a prayer up to heaven, and you feel like, well, maybe this line will reach him, maybe not. Maybe it's a bad signal. Maybe my sins are a little more dirty today. Maybe he didn't hear that one. Then you don't have a savior. You have sprint of horizon. And you might need a tower upgrade. Or 5G. But you do not have someone who can save you. Who actually responds when you call to him. But you see, his name is Jesus. The name means Yahweh saves. Or it could mean Yahweh is salvation. Or Yahweh is a cry for saving. Or Yahweh is a cry for help. His very name means Yahweh is my cry for help. That's his name. So if you feel like you could make a petition or a request to God and also not have the 100% confidence to know that it will be answered, then you don't even know the name of Jesus properly. That we speak of him differently than how he truly is. This is the day the Lord has made, the psalm says. We will rejoice and be glad in it. These psalms are about the real people singing them. It's about the person. It's about the narrative or whatever is being promised or uh, whoever's the first person and second person of the psalm who's ever uh, doing the dramatization of what the psalms are relaying. But they're always done. The, the, the point of these psalms is that they're always in the context of a worshiping community. That's why the psalm at the end breaks off to say, Today, not what God did for this one man when he rescued him. See, the psalm is, I know God can rescue because he rescued me. There's a, there's a person singing in this psalm. It's the first person. He's saying, I and me and my and I was surrounded and they were like bees around me and I didn't know what to do and I called upon the Lord. See, it's all this, 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 this account of this man who was saved. But then it goes on to say, but today is the day the Lord has made. And therefore we will rejoice and be glad in it. That is, all the people of Israel singing this song. That is, it has to mean what it means for you too. That is, he has to answer you. He actually has to really be the Savior. The one who responds. See, the temptation, and this is a real temptation. 
I thank God that I'm not as foolish as I used to be, and I'm still an idiot. But I think I'm a better pastor than I was a few years ago. And when I speak with people, it's hard, it takes wisdom to get to the base of their heart and be able to try to find out what's really going on when there's a problem. And I feel like one of them is this, is that if people aren't 100% convinced that God will answer them, a whole floodgate of problems pours upon their life. See, the temptation is, yes, Jesus is our Savior. I'll recite the Apostles' Creed with you, and I'll even read the Bible sometimes. But you don't understand my marriage. And you don't understand my finances. And you don't understand my children. And yes, when I die, I'll go to heaven, whatever that means. But I got stuff I need to deal with right now. You see. And if you don't understand that that's the point, he's the savior for today, then everything seems to be on the table. See, the temptation is the distresses and the heartaches. We project Jesus up to the heavens and say, yes, he's my savior someday when I die. And then therefore to be tempted with all the idols of this world, that I must trust in men and the strength of men and human wisdom and money and nations and presidents and politics. I must trust in, I'm so depressed with my circumstance and I'm so set aside with how bad particularly this thing upon my life is that I must just eat. Eating makes me happy. I like to drink a lot of alcohol. I like to overeat food. I like to binge watch movies. Anything to get me away from my present problem. Because I tried God and he didn't answer. Like, I mean, not in a real way. I know when I die, I'll go to heaven. But this problem is just bothering me so much. I need to escape. I need something else for my soul. I need to feed on something. And if that means I binge watch Netflix for the whole weekend to avoid my problems then so be it. At least that idol will satisfy. Does not God answer? Does not the living God respond to the problems of my soul? See, that, that really, this really is the basement. That is, if you don't really believe that every time you call upon God, He is there to answer you, then all these other options seem viable. All these other escapes seem to be sweet reliefs from the toils and trials of this life. These are the things that Scripture calls idols. False gods. He says, particularly the temptation of Israel was to turn to Egypt. In the 700s, about 700 years before Jesus, Assyria was a very large superpower, and they were weighing heavy on Israel. And so Israel turned to the south and tried to make an alliance with Egypt, another superpower. And Isaiah indicted them and said, you foolish people, don't you understand the Lord can answer? Don't you understand the Lord's greater than Assyria? Yes, yes, I I know God's there, but I also need to make a, 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 a treaty with Egypt. The whole point of these psalms, they're called the Egyptian Hillel Psalms. They're from... 113, 
14, 15, 16, 17, the last one here, 18. All these songs recount nothing more than simply the exodus out of Egypt. How God saved them. How God responded in their distress. So much so that only a few hundred years later, they turned back to Egypt. They turned back to the strength of men, not to the strength of God, to rescue them. I'll make sense further. The reality is that the psalm begins by saying, His steadfast love endures forever. That is, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, despite your present circumstances, despite the fact that some of these prayers seem to be falling on deaf ears. He is good. That's more real than the circumstances. That's more real than the prayers that have not been answered. He is good. That's the basement of your soul. That he is good and his love is steadfast. Though despite the circumstances, it seems if you judge God's love based on your circumstances, it does not seem steadfast. It seems kind of like the stock market. Up and down. Maybe he likes you. Maybe he doesn't. But no, his love is steadfast. It is consistent. It maintains. Right? And it is forever. It does not go away. This is how the psalm presents it. Therefore, listen to this, let all Israel, the whole nation, say his steadfast love endures forever. That is, this isn't just for one man, even though one man is singing the song. Because this one man has something to say, all the nation should say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron, those priests in Israel, let them say his steadfast love endures forever. Then it says, let all those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Do you see that? It doesn't matter if if God saved this one man. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, i.e. anyone who fears God, a God-fearer. What the scriptures even spoke of as Gentiles who trusted in Yahweh. Gentiles even to the ends of the earth. Anyone who fears God, You have the right to say that it is true for you as it was for this man and anyone else who wrote the Psalms that his steadfast love endures forever. It's true for you. You have to hold that. You have to hold that. If you don't believe that, you have nothing to keep you. You have nothing to keep you close to the Lord. Why is this the call to praise? Nothing more than this one man's personal experience. Verse 5, he says it. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. And the Lord answered me. You say, well, bravo, good for you. Right? How about me? Right? So the Lord answered you. Does he answer me? So I can think of things in my life I would like an answer for. I can think of sufferings and torments in which I did not receive a particularly helpful answer in which I would feel so compelled to say God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Maybe the Lord likes this one man more than me. Maybe the Lord looks at him differently. Because this man is saying, well, I called upon the Lord and he answered me and set me free. I'm going to write a song for you to sing it. Well, thank you very much, but maybe my life's not like your life. No. The answer is necessary. 
You can't say that maybe God will answer me and maybe he won't. Look at verse 21. I thank you that you have answered me. And you have become my salvation. You can't claim Jesus Christ as your savior. Unless you're fully convinced that he's the one that answers you. You see how the psalm points you in that direction? That the God answering you and you ever claiming Jesus Christ is your Savior, they always have to be together. If he does not answer you, it's this simple. If he does not answer you, he's not your Savior. He answered me. He answered me. He is my Savior. This is the bedrock, the foundation, the absolute conviction, the cornerstone, you could say, of what is essential. See, the phrase cornerstone, builders in the old world were particularly, particularly judgmental toward that cornerstone. It had to be the perfect stone. It set the corner of the whole foundation from one wall to the other. If that cornerstone was off, the whole wall is crooked. Not one wall, but the wall connects to the very first corner of any structure. Therefore, the next wall is crooked. Therefore, the third wall is crooked. Therefore, the fourth wall is crooked. The deepest, the first, the principal primary stone that is sunk down is the cornerstone. Right? This is it. This is the cornerstone of your faith. When I call upon the Lord, he answers me. If you can't answer that question, your whole soul will be crooked. Your whole soul will be broken. You'll have cracks and crevices and it will crumble under the weights. It has to be true that Jesus said, I am the stone. If you build your life upon me, you will stand. And my name is Yahweh saves. He has to answer. If this is believed, it results in joy. The man who saved, who called upon the Lord and the Lord answered him. He says, the Lord is my strength and therefore my song. See, I can actually sing because I've actually been saved. There's a joy that has to find its expression in worship. It has to. People say, particularly pastorally, say, why should I, why should I come to church? I, I don't really feel obligated or feel the need to. It's like, that's, that's it. Don't come. Like, you have to actually take joy in what he has done. There's no other draw. There's no other, there's no purgatory. There's no penance. I won't light a candle for you. You don't have to give money. But if he saved you, you have to sing. You actually have to come and just sing. The Lord is my strength, therefore he is my song. He has become my salvation. I heard something that stuck with me. It's an old audio recording from Titanic, the beginning of the previous century, 1912. Sunk the northern ocean of the Atlantic, April 14th. Now, if you haven't heard this, I encourage you 
to consider going online and looking up this transcript. It's a transcript of the Morse code uh, that was relayed from the boat uh, after they struck an iceberg. It's a chilling thing because it seems almost otherworldly. We live in the information age. Everything's a selfie and a Snapchat and whatever else. And they're literally, you know, communicating with beep, 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 beep. And it could be aliens as far as I'm concerned. I don't know what they're beeping about. But fortunately, when you go online and find a video for this, the person will transcribe it for you in the video in real time. And it's a, it's a dark thing to enter into. If you actually just sit there, and it's, it's about 50, 50 minutes long, almost an hour. Just listen. Just listen to what's going on and, and read what's being said. See, if he doesn't answer you, he's not your savior. See, at 12.15, it said, CQD, CQD, this is Titanic. Right? CQD is the old SOS before they use SOS. The CQ means a general call. The D just stands for distress. That is, a general call of distress. A general call of distress. This is a Titanic. The new technology they only been using for a few years at the time was a wireless type of communication. There was nothing more than just like the old phones that everyone was online all the time. So you could just start doing your Morse code and anyone with a receptor in a region would just hear everything. And so this was going out over the ocean. It hit up into the land of Canada. It hit some of the boats that were so many miles away. But it's very painful to listen to because it's so old and such a terrible way of talking that he's only repeating himself. CQD, CQD, the Titanic, we hit a berg, we hit a berg. CQT, the Titanic, we hit a berg. Gives his coordinates out and all these numbers come across the screen. And then someone says, so-and-so to Titanic, is everything okay? It's like, no, how did you not hear that? They don't know anything. And he has to repeat himself again. He's like, no, we hit, it. We hit an iceberg. And, and then he's like, oh, I gave you the wrong coordinates. And he sends out new coordinates. And then someone else chimes in and says, hey, this is a Titanic. Is everything okay? And he has to start all over again, explain it all over again. Precious minutes. The boat's sinking. He's just talking to everybody, trying to get everyone to acknowledge his own existence. Quite putting out these helplines. He says, we're sinking. He beeps over and says, I can't hear. There's steam in the back. He says, the engine room is flooded. Finally, this one ship, Carpathia, 1240. It's about 30, 40 minutes of him just beeping around until some ship actually responds and says the, the, the famous question, is everything okay? Do you need assistance? And for like the 50th time, the communicator, the wireless operator says, no, as a matter of fact, we're sinking. I've been sinking for almost an hour now. And he says, well, good news. The Morse code comes and the boat says, I'm 58 miles away. I'll see you in five hours. Can you imagine that? The man responds, thank you. There were 2,224 people on that boat. 1,500 of them died. 700 were saved. What kind of a savior is that? See, it's dark, it's cold, a few degrees negative Celsius in that water, floating around. Now, if you don't really believe that that's not the metaphor for our life, if you don't really believe 
that there is an answer that God can give to you that is superior to the Morse code of the 20th century? Does your prayer life feel like that? That maybe this transcribes over. Maybe this reaches him. Maybe he'll respond. Maybe we're talking past one another. Maybe he'll come. Maybe a few will get saved. Maybe something good will happen. Maybe not. That is not this psalm. That is not the gospel. That's not Jesus. See, but that really is how we feel about it often. Is the Lord actually responding? Does he actually answer? The very last thing, the saddest of it all, we know because there were watches that were frozen uh, when they found the bodies. The watches were frozen or set and broke around the time of uh, 2.20 a.m. So they infer from that that's when the boat sunk. When you watch the transcription, it's 2.17. It says nothing more than CQD, this is Titanic. CQD, this, and that's it. And the man went down. And everyone in there. See, there's no hope. Except this man has something different to say. He's surrounded. All the nations he's surrounded me, almost like floodwaters. In the name of the Lord, I cut them all off. They surrounded me. They surrounded me on every side. They surrounded me like bees. In the name of the Lord, I cut them all off. I was pushed. I was falling. I was soon to die. And it says, the Lord helped me. He came and responded and saved me. Therefore, make my personal experience the norm of all of your lives. Start singing this song and realize that God's goodness and love endures forever. See, that has to be the case. He has to be the Savior who responds. If he does not respond, he's not the Savior. He said, he saved my life. He says, I shall not die, but I will live and I will recount the deeds of the Lord. This man says, God has saved me and I will talk about it forever. And he's opened up into a loving home. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through. This is the gate of the Lord, and only the righteous go through, he says. That the Lord has restored me and saved me. I will not die, but only live. Now you, please sing about it. It has to be the only case that this man has solidity with the Savior. That is, it's a solid foundation. That is, it cannot change. It cannot be altered. He goes on to say, the Lord is on my side. Who will I fear? What can man do to me? Now can you sing that? Right? Can you actually understand that the Lord is by your side? There's nothing that anyone can do to you. No one may touch you. No one may pluck a hair from your head apart from his plan. He numbers your hairs. He knows your head. The Lord is on my side. He is my helper. He said, it is better, it is so much better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in even princes with power. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there really is no greater solace you have, no greater foundation to your soul than simply to calling upon the name of Jesus? 
because you know when things are bad and there's a lot of things to do. The last thing you need to do is pray and you start getting to work and saving yourself. Now, pious platitude is, yes, we'll also pray a little bit. The reverse of this psalm is, there is no other thing better to do than to simply speak the name Jesus, to speak upon Jesus, to call upon the name of the Lord. It's better than trusting anything. You are a fool to take a refuge in anything except from Jesus. Who controls every atom and molecule? Who numbers the days of your life? Who has everything orchestrated to enter into that communion with that Savior? He really is a Savior. He is better than any fortress. He is stronger than any tower. Because there is a solidity, solidarity, this man in the psalm has with his God. He says, you are at my right side. I know you are here. Everywhere I go, you are with me. There's a solidarity there that is more solid than a great fortress, more solid than the great tower. And it all comes to the solidity of this particular promise that there has been laid upon this a cornerstone, a foundation, something from which to build upon. How do we know particularly that this psalm is for us? How do we know it's not just one man's particular salvation? He says this individually in verse 21. I thank you that you answered me and you have become my salvation. The next verse. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Third verse. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes, plural. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Save us, we pray. Give us success. This man's individual experience in the psalm immediately translates to the whole body in which we say, oh no, this isn't just one man. This one man, his personal experience, is our experience. That is, the Lord has answered him, therefore Lord answer us. The Lord has saved him, Lord, therefore Lord save us. He is his fortress and stronghold. The Lord is my fortress and stronghold. The only reason this could ever happen is because there has actually been laid a cornerstone. A rock that cannot move. Something you can build upon. Jesus the Christ. The man. The incarnate God. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who has the name of the Lord? Truly has the name of the Lord. Yahweh. Jesus. The Lord of hosts. This is what Isaiah saw. See, Isaiah was prophesying against Israel for trusting in Egypt because they were afraid of Assyria. Trusting in man. The Egyptian Hillel Psalms are celebrating that they were rescued from Egypt and saying the Lord has made a cornerstone. And Isaiah picks that up in Isaiah 8, Isaiah 28, and says, Now, that nation you were rescued from, Egypt, that you're turning back to for salvation, Isaiah 28, 16, Behold, I, the one have laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested cornerstone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes in him will not be put to haste. This is the only man who trusts in the Lord. 
This is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the cornerstone. Isaiah 8 says he is the stone. The name of the stone is Yahweh of hosts. The name of the stone is the stumbling block that is an offense to all the other builders, all the other religious people in Israel who like to be religious and also trust in Egypt. They will stumble upon this stone. This is the one man who actually lays the foundation in which he can say, I called upon the Lord and he answered me. It's true for me. And therefore, it has to be true for all who call upon the Lord with me. Jesus Christ. His name means Savior. On Sunday, he entered into Jerusalem. And they sang this song. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. On Tuesday, he debated with the builders of the house, the Pharisees, who were trying to find ways to kill him. And he said in Matthew 24, 21, 42, Have you not heard that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? That was on Tuesday. On Thursday, he had his last meal with his disciples. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. My blood, your sins. And then he sang a psalm. Most likely Psalm 118. He said, singing, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What could man possibly do to me? Then he rose to the garden. They chain him and whip him and beat him, pierce him, kill him. That's what he sang before he went to the cross. The Lord is on my side. What could man possibly do to me? Had his last supper, sang his last song, and was murdered. Oh, you see? That's your cornerstone. Do you ever feel like the Lord hasn't answered your prayer? Do you ever feel like he's not by your side? Do you ever feel like you might die in the Titanic? The Lord was raised to life. Jesus Christ is alive now. He is vindicated. That is, you, if you come to Christ, have already died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. That is, you cannot die. I shall not die, but live, the psalmist says. And always be in the presence of the Lord. See, what could man possibly do to me? I have already died with Christ. Where could anyone touch me? I found a fortress built up on a stone that cannot be broken. Everything coalesces to that. That it is true. If you call upon the Lord, he must answer you. Or his name is not Jesus. And yes, Jesus was gloriously answered. Ascended to the heavens. And said, open to me the gates of righteousness. The righteous enter through. And you with him. In Jesus' name. Dear Father God. You are our salvation. We confess that when we call upon you. You answer. We confess you are 
a better savior than men. You do not speak to us with Morse code. We do not doubt or wonder if you hear. For in you we live and move and have our being. And your Holy Spirit, by the name of Christ, is our great helper and interceder. Now, Father, we ask, Lord, that we would be entirely convinced and not move from this stone that we build our lives upon, that when we call upon you, Lord, you answer. So, Lord, we ask, as Solomon did when he built that temple, whenever your name is invoked here in this church, whenever your name is invoked by us, Lord, may you always hear from heaven and answer. In Jesus' name, amen.